Hey, New Life Church, Bronson Duke here. Thanks for listening in. The heart of our church is that you would know Jesus, that you would walk with Jesus, and you would learn how to live like he lived. We hope that this message equips you and empowers you on your journey walking with Jesus. All right, I wanted to invite all of you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Reading out of Jonah 3. Then the word of then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this morning as we gather. God, we are your people. We come from all the different backgrounds and the places we're at. And God, we came to meet with you. Guys, just take a moment and just settle our hearts. God, we're here to meet with you. If you're comfortable, just hold your hands out right in front of you. God, we want to receive from you. We want to receive from your word. God, right now we just lay aside distractions and anxieties. And God, we accept your peace. And so our prayer is simple. Come, Holy Spirit. Speak to us. Realign our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. 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 Well, you can have a seat. Um, My name is Bronson. If you're new to our community, new to our church, uh, I'm one of the leaders, one of the pastors here. And we've we've been in a series on Jonah. It's actually, we've been two weeks out of it, which is kind of strange. Uh, we, We did two weeks on it in August, and then we had our life group launch. And then last weekend, Robert brought us a phenomenal word on uh, how sin can easily drag us in, but how God's mercy meets us there. And so I want to encourage you, check that out if you haven't heard it yet, but I'm going to give you just kind of a general overview of where we're headed, and we're going to dig into it. Sound good? All right. So thesis for this morning, what I'm going to kind of be working off of is that God is determined to accomplish his purposes in the earth. God is determined to accomplish his purposes in the earth. If if you want to read along, there's a book called uh, Prodigal Prophet by Tim Keller. Uh, It's an incredible book. I want to encourage you to check that out. You know, it's interesting, when we read the Bible, a lot of times what we can be tempted to do is to read the Bible and and read it through the lens of, like, it's about me, right? Does anybody else? Like, you go to the Bible, it's like, what does this say about me? But really, what the Bible is, is it's a story about God. The Bible reveals to us God's character. And so it's interesting when we get into Jonah, um, yes, it's a story about a whale, right? That's what we all know about it. Uh, That's kind of like the children's story and all that stuff. But what it really is about is a story about a gracious God, 
uh, who chases us down and wants to interact with us. And so it's such a fascinating uh, book. If you, haven't, if you haven't heard the other two messages, I want to encourage you to go back. Um, but it's a simple book, but at the same time, it's incredibly complex. And so uh, this is the story of extreme selfishness on the part of Jonah, extreme repentance on the part of the Ninevites. That's what we're going to see today, and extreme love on the part of God. And so I just want to give you a quick review. Uh, week one, we talked about how Jonah knows that God's judgment paves the way for God's mercy. Um, and he does not want mercy for the Ninevites, so he runs. Week two, Jonah, an ironic twist of fate, needs mercy. Uh, and Marius brought a word on that. And God saved him with a whale, which is hilarious. Uh, then week three, um, we look at Jonah saying yes to the difficult mission of God. And so uh, I wonder if anybody in here could identify with this statement. Do you ever find yourself oddly determined to do something? Anybody? Like whether it's like a hobby or just like getting all the weeds out of your yard or, you know, something at work. Like you just, I don't know, you can't figure out why you're so obsessed with it, but you're obsessed with it. Uh, one of the uh, symptoms of ADHD is hyper-focused in very specific areas. And so I've had that my entire life. I've always had like funny little things that I just get obsessed with, that I get zeroed in on. And so I could go through every season of my life from the time I can remember I was obsessed with something, right? Whether it was like Batman toys or wrestling buddies or soccer cleats, yo-yos, Pokemon cards. You know, I could go through my entire life, okay? I have some stuff. And so uh, one day when I was 15, this, this was a fleeting obsession. And I'm gonna warn you, it was weird. Uh, one day, I'm like 15 years old. This is before like TikTok. I don't even think we had a computer, okay? And, but we had a pogo stick, all right? And so I find this pogo stick at the house and I'm like, you know what? I got nothing else to do. I'm gonna figure out how to use this thing. And so can anybody in here use a pogo stick fairly well? Okay, so I get on it and it takes you a little bit to get the hang of it, right? And so the way, the way I work is I was like, okay, if I can get 10 in a row, okay? So then I got 10 in a row. I'm like, okay, 10 in a row, 20 in a row. Get 20 in a row, then 50, then 100, then 200. I'm like, I wonder if I could do this 2,000 times. I pogoed 2,000 times in a row. Like, how weird is that? I just got so obsessed, y'all. I had blisters on both of my hands and a heart full of joy, okay? I, I, I had become the pogo master, all right? When I read this story of Jonah, I can't help but think like God is oddly determined to get Jonah to do this, all right? It's just funny to me. It's like, why not get someone else, like anyone else? Jonah is the most stubborn dude on the planet. Uh, like God throws a storm at him, has, a, has to have him swallowed by a whale to get his yes, right? It's like hilarious. There's so many different people that he could go for, but for better or worse, Jonah is God's man, all right? It's kind of worse for Jonah. I'm sure Jonah wishes God would relent. So why is God so determined? What is God speaking to us through this story? There is something within Jonah that exists within the human heart that all of us have. And here's what it is. It's the mindset that we know what is best. It's the mindset that we know what is best at a given time. We know who is good, right? We know who's worthy of mercy. We know what justice looks like. We know who's deserving of punishment. And you may say, no, that's not me. I'm a loving person. Simple test. How delicious do you find it 
when someone you do not like gets what they deserve. When the boss who was mean to you gets found out for embezzling funds and gets fired. When the bully from high school ends up a drunk loser. When the person who was always bragging and showing off their money turns out to be tremendously in debt. Let's just be honest, right? There's something in us that's like, I knew it, right? We, we love, here's, here's the reality. We love justice for others. We love mercy for ourselves. And, and what this scripture is showing us is that God wants to show mercy to unmerciful people. God is determined to accomplish his purposes. And listen, here, here's what I want you to see. This is the most important thing I think that we've got to see in this book as Christians. God is determined to accomplish his purposes through us. Like, yo, there's been moments in this story where I'm like in tears mad at Jonah, right? It's like, why isn't he helping? Like, why won't he obey? Why won't he go do it? But the reality is that there are places in the dark recesses of my heart where God asks me to do things that I don't want to do. But here's the reality. God is determined for us to be a part of his plan. So let's paint this scene here. Here comes Jonah. He's walking into this massive city. He's given God his yes, finally. He smells like whale vomit. He's partially digested, and he is a thoroughly defeated man, all right? And he has this message of judgment. 40 days and the city of Nineveh will be overturned. That's what God told him to say. It's so lazy though, right? That's five words in Hebrew, right? He doesn't come in. He doesn't spend his time in his notes. He doesn't get prayed up. He doesn't get, so this is what I imagine. He just humdrum, like he's doing it, but his heart's not in it. And we're gonna see that throughout the book. He's obeying but his heart's not there. He preached a five-word sermon. Can you imagine? I've said like 500 words at this point in the sermon, all right? Now, as you go through the text, it says that uh, it would take three days to go through the city. This is one of those things in the scripture that's interesting, because if you go look, we have archeological record. It's only a seven-mile wide city, all right? So either like, maybe we could be like, okay, if you crawled through the city, it takes three days. So. It's not gonna take three days to walk from one end of the city to the other, but here's what it will take three days to do, to walk around the city and deliver the message. And so I imagine Jonah just kind of humdrum, 40 days, you're gonna be overturned. 40 days, you're gonna be overturned, whatever. And to his like astonishment and fury, they start repenting, all right? And they start listening. Like, listen, I, I believe he's giving a half-hearted message because he doesn't wanna see repentance. When we get half-hearted messages, most of the time we get half-hearted repentance, and that's what we're gonna see in this, okay? I believe he doesn't wanna do it. So he's annoyed, he's shocked, and here's what we're about to walk through. Jonah repents, he accepts God's call. The Ninevites repent and ask for God's mercy, and God sees the change in them and holds back his judgment. Okay, so number one, God is determined to include us in his work. He's determined to include us in his work. Uh, the big thing that this has caused me to wrestle with in the last few weeks is the doctrine of election. Because it's like Jonah had a choice, but did he really? You know what I'm saying? My grandpa, when I was growing up, he said, I'm about to cloud up and rain all over you, boy. That meant he was about to give me a spanking. He was about to get on me, right? That, it was kind of a joke, but it was like, hey, you're pushing the line. God literally clouded up and rained all over Jonah, all right? He threw a storm at him. He threw a whale at him, and he judged him. That's what we can't miss. 
God judged Jonah. Why did he judge Jonah? So that his mercy would be released. God was determined to get Jonah to do this. Leslie Newbegin said in his book on mission, The Open Secret, he said, for no one who reads the Bible can be in doubt about the fact that God, uh, that it is God who chooses whom he will call for his service. This doctrine of divine election has fallen to disrepute. Look at this. Because those who were so chosen and called the elect so often saw themselves as exclusive beneficiaries of God's choice rather than trustees on behalf of the nations. This is a disastrous misunderstanding. So manifest in the story of Israel and the life of the church and all generations that it cannot negate the fundamental truth in the doctrine of election. It's God who calls, God who chooses, and God who sins. Sole beneficiaries instead of trustees. It reminds me of the story of Barry Madoff. Do y'all know the story of Barry Madoff? Uh, the, the, the largest Ponzi scheme in the history of the world. Uh, he, he embezzled $64.8 billion, billion dollars with a B, all right? Um, Ponzi schemes, the, the way they basically work, if you don't understand this, is like, I would set up an investment fund, not me, let's just use Marius. Marius sets up an investment fund, and uh, he says, hey, give into this, and I'm gonna guarantee you 12% returns. If you find a financial advisor who's guaranteed you 12% returns, he's doing something illegal, okay? And so guarantees you 12% returns every year, I'm gonna give it to you. So this is what Madoff was doing. So people are giving money, but what he was doing is he was taking the deposits to pay the returns. Does that make sense? So he's not putting anything in the market. He's just taking, let's say, you know, Robert gives him money. He's taking the money Robert gave him to pay me my 12% returns, okay? Now this works up until a point. So when there's economic collapse, like there was in 2007, all of a sudden nobody's putting money in the market, all right? So he couldn't pay out returns, the whole thing falls apart. What was he doing? He was benefiting instead of being trusted with the funds that were given to him. Y'all, this is something for us as Christians that I think we have to take a good, hard look at. Because one of my holy discontents about Bible Belt religion is that we're beneficiaries, we're not trustees. We're people who receive grace to flee wrath, but we don't extend the mercy of God. Yes. You see it in stories. I remember when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, and I saw so many Christians be like, God's judgment, and they said it with joy. It may well have been. I don't know. But here's what I know. That kind of judgment isn't what God wants to bring. God desires to bring mercy but I wonder, are you engaged in God's mercy mission? Are you engaged in spreading this message? Yo, listen, we are stewards of God's message of grace and mercy. And if we only benefit and we're not willing to share, our faith is at best bankrupt and at worst potentially fraudulent. The Bible says that faith with no works is dead. James 2, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister was without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace and keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. God has entrusted us with a mission. So practical question, I want you to reflect. If you're a Jesus follower, listen, if you're not a Jesus follower, you're just searching, this part doesn't apply to you. But if you are a Jesus follower, are you active in God's rescue mission? 
Are you looking to share your faith with others? Are you engaged in the life of the church? Do you have areas where you know God's asked you to do something and you're refusing to do it? Are you like Jonah, a prodigal prophet, entrusted with a message of grace but refusing to extend it? There's a quote from uh, one of the guys from Penn and Teller, and he said, he said, if he's an atheist, he says, but if you believe what you say you believe, that there's a God who created the world, that he's a God of love, that he came to redeem others, and that we can have an afterlife with him, and you don't tell other people, how much must you hate them to withhold the message from them? Here's what I found. All of us want to know what God's will is for our life, right? But often, what I found is that if we aren't obedient with the last thing God asks us to do, God's rarely going to trust us with another assignment. And so I want to ask you the question, have you had moments in your walk with Jesus where you felt like so clearly God asked you to do something? And then has the calling dried up since then? Here's what I want to encourage you with. Give God your yes. Give God, give God your yes. One of the most merciful things God can do for you is to withhold peace until you obey. Because when we obey, we walk into the fullness of what God has for us. Amen? God, listen to me. Look at me. God is determined to use you in his plan. God is determined to give you, you, with all your issues. You're so messed up. All your issues, all our issues, God's determined to use us in his mercy mission. Amen? Point two, God's determined to judge injustice. As you go through this text, you see he tells him, hey, uh, you're going to be destroyed. The, the, the Hebrew word there is, is really more literally overturned. And they go into this fast, and the king finds out about the message. And the king comes down from his throne. He takes off his royal robe, and he escalates the fast. And he says, not just people, animals are going to fast. And it's interesting, if, if you think about that, if you starve animals, what are they going to do? They're going to scream. They're going to make noise. They're going to buck. Can you imagine just like the cacophony of sounds? One of the commentators said, uh, if you don't feed a 20 head of cattle for one day, the, loud they'll, the, the sound they'll make is so loud you can hear it a half a mile away. All right, so they're entering into this intense fast. The animals are a part of it. Yo, there's just this weeping. There's this sound that's coming out of Nineveh, and it reaches heaven. Why won't God relent on his call? Why is God determined to judge this injustice? I believe it's twofold. Number one, he hates the violence of the Ninevites, and he'll no longer tolerate it. Marius gave an example in, in his sermon a few weeks ago about, have you ever seen like a parent with a child that's terrible? It's like a terrible child, and they're like, oh, my child can do no wrong. It's like, he's doing wrong right now. Do something, right? God is not a parent who won't do something. God will act. He's bringing judgment. Number one, he hates the violence. Number two, he loves the Ninevites. It's like, I don't know if you've ever seen a movie where like throughout the movie, it's like, why isn't this person moving against the enemy? Why isn't he moving against the enemy? And then you find out in the, in the end that the enemy is his son, right? Listen, God loves the religious. God loves the irreligious. We are all the children of God, amen? Tim Keller said this, 
He said the Assyrian Empire was unusually violent. It slaughtered and enslaved countless people and oppressed the poor. It was renowned for injustice, imperialism, oppression of other countries. Yet the text shows that the impulse towards exploitation and abuse was always also eating away at the fabric of Nineveh's society. It wasn't merely that the Assyrians as a nation were oppressing other nations, but the individuals were violent towards one another, poisoning social relationships. Let every person forsake the violence that he plans towards others. It says in verse 8, The wealthy enslave the poor while the poor strike back through crime. The middle class people cheat one another. And it may be that the repentance from the greatest to the least shows the beginning of reconciliation from the various strata of society. Um, I wonder if you've ever heard this before. Somebody say, the, the reason I don't believe in God is how could there be a good God when the world has so much pain? Maybe you've thought that, maybe you've wrestled with that. Uh, a, a young C.S. Lewis, before his conversion, was an atheist, and he would have said that was one of his primary arguments against the faith. How, think about it, in a universe of cold, darkness, violence, and death, can there be a good God? He said, but then at once it occurred to me, how could creatures who had only experienced violence and darkness and death come up with the idea of a good and benevolent creator? This idea must have originated outside of them logically, not within them. He, he, he says it this way. He says, at all times, an inference from the course of events in this world to the goodness and wisdom of the creator would have been equally preposterous. And it was never made. Religion has a different origin. What is he saying? There is a God who exists outside of all of this. And he has a heart and he has a plan. Here's what I believe the Bible teaches. Suffering does not happen because God is absent or because God does not care. It happens because God is not recognized, worshiped, and obeyed. Here's what we see happen. The evil king hears the word of the Lord and he repents of his evil. It's incredible. He gets down off his throne. He takes off his royal robes because he recognized the power of God and that his own throne and his own power pales in comparison. Now, we could take time, and originally when I did this, I thought this was what I was going to do, but as I prayed through this, I felt like we needed to take a different direction. We could dig into societal evils and look at all these things in different structures of society. We could talk about God's space and all that. But as I prayed, here's, here's the question that stuck out to me. Are there areas where you are causing other people to suffer? Are there areas where you are being violent? Are there areas where you are crushing people with your words, maybe even physically? Are there areas where you know God's calling you to show mercy and grace and engage in his mission, but you're not, you're doing the opposite. You're using your power to hurt others. Here's the invitation. Turn from it. Humble yourself before God because violence always brings destruction. There are so many types of violence. Y'all, you know what one of the number one types of violence within the church is? It's gossip. It's talking about other members of the community in ways you would never talk to their face. Y'all, these things destroy our testimony to the world. And what I want to invite you to do is just for a moment, ask God, search my heart and know me. You see it all. God revealed to me 
Are there areas within my life, within my marriage, within my friendships that I'm not bringing life, but I'm bringing violence and death? Here's what this text is telling us. There's evil and suffering and pain in the world, and God will not ignore it. He will overturn you. And one of the worst things that could happen is that God allows us to continue in our evil, that God allows us to continue in our sin, because what it will produce in us is death. It's interesting, the Hebrew word for overturn has a dual meaning that, that Jonah is very aware of. One meaning is destruction, but another meaning is actually repentance, like to be turned over, to be upended. God's judgment can be seen from the perspective of the Ninevites and from our perspective as either absolute devastation on our lives or a catalyst for deep and painful repentance that begets radical life transformation. When When I was 18 years old, I was going through drug rehabilitation, if you know my story, and I had relapsed and I was taking pain pills and I was starting to drink again and you know, getting into all those things, kind of hiding it, still a part of church life, still doing all those things. And this is just the amazing way that God works. I, do y'all remember what salvia is? Anybody, like 2007, is that still a thing? No, nope. took that away from us. That wasn't good. Um, so you used to be able to buy it in like those bong shops, head shops or whatever. And so my buddy was like, hey, uh, you know, there's this new thing called salvia. It's kind of like weed. You want to try it? And I was like, yeah, I'll try it. I hit that thing one time, not interested. Not interested in 30, 30 seconds of chaos, okay? And so he, he's like, I don't really want it either. I'm like, well, thanks for having me try it. And so I like threw it in a backpack and forgot about it, all right? And so you smoke it similarly out of like a like glass bowl, you know? And so I had that, I had like this baggie of this green substance in a little glass piece. And we're being honest here, it's safe, it's safe, right? Okay. Um, <laughs> And uh, I threw it in my backpack, forgot about it. Well, I'm living with my aunt and uncle at the time as I'm going through rehabilitation. And this is just God. Like one of my aunt's friends was looking for her kid's shoes, all right? And for some reason was in my closet, all right? Happens to open the backpack, finds it, takes to my aunt. So my cousin comes to me and is like, hey, you know, have you been doing anything X, Y, and Z? I'm like, no, 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 I'm good, man, doing great. And uh, he pulls it out and puts it on the table. And I start laughing. I'm like, that's salvia. It's not a real drug, you know. <laughs> Try it, it's terrible, you're gonna hate it. <laughs> and y'all, my uncle came down on me like I've never been come down on before. And he invited me out on the porch and he, he said some things to me. We actually talked about this a couple weeks ago. He said, um, he said, do you understand what my family has sacrificed for you? You know, your your aunt and I haven't gone on a date in nine months because of you. And he went through all these things. And it just broke me. In his love for me, he laid his judgment on me so that I would turn from the things that were killing me. Here's the reality. In our world, the judgment of God is not popular. What we want to say is the gospel is you're so valuable, and you are. But if we don't recognize the wickedness within our hearts, we'll never discover the beautiful deposit and value that God has put in us. What God wants us to do 
And the reason God brings judgment is to turn us from our actions of death and to invite us in his gracious and merciful life. The, the word repentance has become a curse word in our society, and it's one of the most beautiful words within the library of the scripture. When we, when we think of repentance, we think of a street preacher on the sign screaming at people and telling people they're going to hell. Rick Warren said this, he says, repent is actually the most positive, transforming word in the world. The word repent just means that you change your mind. It's not when you stop doing bad things, that's the result of repentance. It means that you used to think one way and now you think another. You used to think guilty thoughts, now you think forgiven thoughts. You used to think damnation and discouragement, and now you think with peace. You used to think selfishness, and now you think of others. You used to think just with your own ambition, and now you believe that greatness is found in serving and loving others and serving and loving God. You used to think God as an angry, destructive, and hateful being, but now you think of him as he really is, a kind and loving father who sees his children suffering and wants to invite them out of it. Now you see God as God sees you, as valuable and built with purpose. You think about what really has meaning in life and you start to align your vision for life with the vision of Christ. And as we do this, God rushes in to show us mercy. Point number one, God is determined, or I'll say oddly determined, to include us in his work. Question, are you a part of his work? Number two, God is determined to end injustice, to judge injustice. And number three, God is determined to show us mercy. The end of chapter three says this. It says, when God saw what they had done, and how they'd put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction. Let's bring it down to our personal lives. Subsack. God does care. Listen. God does care about those deep pockets of evil and destruction in your heart. There's a snowball effect of sin. And there are natural consequences to sin that destroy us in the long run. And so here's the invitation. It's just to take some time and stand before God and say, God, I know you see this stuff. God, I see this stuff. And I don't think it's okay either. Y'all, that is the moment. That is the beginning, the catalyst of change. To change your life, you have to change your mind, right? To change your life, you have to change the way that you think. Because the way that we think determines the things that we do. And so I just want you to, I just want to give you a moment. There's cards in the back, um, the pockets or whatever that are in the chairs. Um, I want to encourage you, grab one of those cards and just take some time and y'all be honest about where you're at. Be honest about areas where you're struggling. Be honest about areas where there's violence or there's anger. There's lust, there's lies. And just take a moment and bring that before the Lord and say, God, I know you see it. I see it. 
and just start asking God for the power to make a change. Amen? Your repentance is core to the life of the believer. And listen, some of, you, some of you, you're like, I've been walking with Jesus for 50 years. And it's like, I thought at some point <laughs> I wouldn't struggle or I wouldn't think these things. Listen, God is making you into something beautiful and it's progressive. But if you're gonna walk into that, you just gotta be honest about where you're at. Amen? And so I, I wanna lead us through just a little bit of guided prayer. Um, so if you can, you can close your eyes all across the room. Let's just get quiet before the Lord. You can hold your hands out in front of you on your lap. Just get comfortable. Become aware of God's presence. God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. I want to invite you to begin to review your life, maybe just the last 24 hours, just with gratitude in your heart. Take a moment. Think about the areas where God's blessed you. Be thankful in all circumstances. This is God's will for you who belong to Jesus. God, we give you glory for our families, God, for our friends, for the food we eat. I just want you to take a moment and examine your actions and your motives. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thought. God, we just invite you. See if there's any offensive way in us, in me. And lead us in the way everlasting. Just want to encourage you to think back over your interactions, the things that you've done over maybe the past 24 hours, maybe further back if it's been a while since you've done this. Let's bring these things before God. With these things in mind, just begin to confess them to God with thanksgiving for his grace. ask God for the courage to change. Create me a clean heart of God. Renew a right spirit within me. God, we just come before you. God, we confess our need for you. God, we believe that you are Yahweh, God of covenant love. You're the God who made us, the God who redeemed us, and the one that we're going back towards. I just wanna take one more moment. We talked in the beginning about being a part of God's mission. 
I just want you to take some time and just ask God, God, am I a part of your mission? Is there anything you've asked me to do that I'm not doing? you give God your yes even if you're scared even if your heart's not fully in it yet just begin to say yes to God can we do that together yes God you have our yes hey guys thanks for listening in I hope that this message blessed you and it helps you in your journey with Jesus if it did leave a comment leave a review things like that help us spread the message of Jesus uh, if you want to connect with us the best way to do that is to follow us on Instagram at, at NLC downtown Little Rock to follow along with the life of our church